I'm gonna invite John to come up now and John's gonna read our scripture for us. This is from the book of Ecclesiastes, the Old Testament book of wisdom from the teacher, very likely Solomon. So let's open our hearts to receive the word of God. I'll pray and then we will jump in today. Ecclesiastes 7, two through six. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting since that is the end of all mankind, and the living should take it to heart. Grief is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be glad. The heart of the wise is in a house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in a house of pleasure. It is better to listen to rebuke from a wise person than to listen to the song of fools, for like the crackling of burning thorns under the pot, So is the laughter of the fool. This too is futile. Lord, we bring our hearts before you now. God, I ask and I pray that wherever we may be today, some of us feeling great joy, others of us experiencing great sorrow, wherever we may be, Lord, I pray that you would use this time to grow us and to shape us. Because, Lord, as diverse of our backgrounds, young and old, uh, financially rich, financially poor, men and women, different languages spoken, different skin colors, different experiences in life, different personality types. But God, we know the one thing that we all share in common is we experience things in this life that cause us great sorrow. And so I pray today that we would be able to bring that sorrow to you, Lord Jesus, the man of sorrows who we just read and sang about that we might experience your grace and your hope and your joy in our lives. Lord, would you guard my lips and let me only teach that which is in line with the truth of your word. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. If I could start, I want to just kind of zoom out for a minute. I want to make sure we put a few building blocks in place before we talk specifically about sadness. I want to limit our scope to sadness, not hardship in general, not suffering in general, but the feeling and the emotion of sadness. And so I think it's important to maybe start with some discussion about emotion in general. And I want to say five things about just the Bible and emotions. The first thing I want to say is this. The Bible very clearly emphasizes human emotions. You can't read through the Bible. You read through the stories in the Bible. You read through uh, things like the Psalms, the prophets. There's There's a prophet named Jeremiah who's known as the weeping prophet. We just read in Isaiah that Jesus is known as the man of sorrows. The psalmist cries out, why are you downcast, O my soul? There's great rejoicing. There's great delight. The Bible is full of the language of emotion. And so because of that, we can say very clearly that it is unbiblical to demonize emotions. It is unbiblical to demonize emotions. Now, I I will just say I grew up in the type of church that was highly emotive, highly emotions-based. And I saw the way that that could be at times harmful, where people weren't thinking and and weren't kind of rational about things. And so I've noticed also in my time growing up, I mean, since the time I was a little kid growing up in the church, others then would emphasize and say that emotions are bad and wrong and can't be trusted and, and emotions can be demonized. They almost sound like the old Stoics from ancient Greece who said, turn off your emotions, only think, only be rational, and then you can avoid the hardship and the suffering of human existence. The problem is, A, it doesn't ever work. You can't really become just a robot. 
We all have emotions, even those who are not as, by nature, emotional. But secondly, it's unbiblical. The Bible emphasizes human emotions. It is, it is not how we interact with God to just shut off our emotions. The, the Protestant reformer John Calvin wrote this in his Institutes in book three. He says, to bear the cross patiently, it's not the same thing as having your feelings altogether blunted and to be absolutely insensible to pain, according to the absurd description which the Stoics of old gave us. Now also we have among Christians a new kind of Stoics, who hold it vicious, not only to groan and weep, but even to be sad and anxious. So it's unbiblical to demonize our emotions. At the same time, we can also say that it is unbiblical to idolize our emotions. We live in the era of emotion. We live in the era of that which is felt And in particular, uh, our modern media age, technologies like sound and, and, and movies and now even social media have such a profound ability to impact and influence our emotions and literally to shut off rational thought that it's, it's easy to see people where, where feeling is everything. You can't disagree. You can't have a conversation. You can't discuss anything because, well, this is just how I feel. If we, are to, if we are to walk with God in the, in, the, in the biblical foundation that he gives us, we must avoid either one of these extremes, the demonization of emotion or the idolization of emotion. You with me so far? Number four, contrary to what you may have heard, I was explicitly taught this in college. Emotions are not purely neutral. You may have heard something to the effect of, well, emotions aren't right or wrong, they just are. The problem is, is that's exactly wrong. There are positive emotions, there are negative emotions, right? Positive emotions like happiness and joy and negative emotions like sadness or, or fear. And so you could say like, well, we just want to emphasize all the positive emotions. The problem is even the positive emotions can be wrong. Simple example, kids on a playground, one kid walks over to the other kid, shoves the kid down and starts laughing. Oh, look it, he's happy, he's joyful, that must be good. No, it's wrong. Or some of you are crying as we watch that video of our dear sister Karen going through this hardship. Oh, stop crying. Stiff up her lip. Be joyful. Rejoice in the Lord always. No, we weep with those who weep. Emotions are not neutral. Dan Allender and Tremper Longman in their book on emotions, they say every emotion is a theological statement. And so I think it's better, number five, to say that emotions are more like a window into our soul or more like a gauge to let us know what we love, what we value, what we desire, what we fear. Emotions are, are helpful tools to let us know what's really going on in our heart. So therefore, it is good to engage with our emotions, but not let them rule over us. You with me so far, church? Now let's talk about the specific emotion, the specific feeling of sadness. And I'm going to use some synonyms. We'll use synonyms like sorrow or grief. These are other words that the scriptures use. And, and I, again, I don't want to talk about just suffering. At the, you know, why is there hardship in the world? Or, or even other emotions like anger or fear or, or those sorts of things. I want to focus us on sadness. 
Now, different emotions communicate different things. An emotion like anger communicates that there is a wrong or an injustice that needs to be corrected. Or an emotion like fear often communicates that there is a threat or at least a perceived threat that needs to be addressed and protected from. What does, what does sadness communicate? The primary thing that sadness communicates is that something has been lost. Something has been lost. There's a book by um, Alistair Groves and Winston Smith. And by the way, there's a number of books that I will reference in this teaching and that I read through portions of in preparation of this teaching. And if you go on our website, all of these different books are listed. I think there's four different books if you want to engage in this a little bit more. But the the book, um, Untangling Emotion by Alistair Groves and Winston Smith, they say this, most of us have lost something important to us. And if you have, you are familiar with grief. The larger the loss, uh, the greater the ache and the deeper the sadness. If you've experienced the end of an intimate relationship or the death of a dear loved one, then you know the sadness can be so profound that it is difficult to describe. Now, sadness, number three, sadness can come from a variety of sources. The sense of loss might actually be something that we did. Sadness can come from our own sin, our own foolishness, our own mistakes, our own missteps. You've done something, consequences come because of it, something is lost out on, and you feel sad. Anybody ever had that feeling? Like, why did I do that? This is sad. But sadness can also come from the foolishness or mistakes or even outright sin of someone else, a betrayal from a loved one. I've known people who have lost family members to a drunk driver because someone else made the foolish decision to drink and then get behind the wheel of a car. And they, they are now experiencing deep sadness because they lost someone because of someone else's mistake. And actually some sadness just comes because we live in a fallen, broken world and there's mystery around our suffering even to the point of, of, of things like depression where, where some people who are afflicted with that, you, you could look and you could sit and then you've, have even talked with people like this who, who have experienced depression and say, actually, my life's pretty good. Things are going pretty great. I don't have any specific reason to feel so down, but just my, my body and my mind are just, they're not, they're not doing well in this fallen, broken world. Sadness can come from a variety of different sources and we would be wise to not just broad brush or, 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 or be too casual about it. And then number four, this, this one I'm just going to put on the table as I, this is more of just my opinion. Okay, so take it or leave it. You can disagree with me on this. But I think that sadness is one of the easier emotions to avoid. And I'll say this in particular for many of us men. Sadness can be one of those emotions that's easy to avoid. Perhaps, I'm very grateful, I was not raised in this type of environment, but many men that I know, my own dad was raised in a household where men don't cry. You toughen up, you don't deal with this stuff, you just be a man. I also think that sadness can be easier to avoid, men and women, all of us, because just the way that our brains work, if you get into a little bit of brain science, other emotions are kind of primary emotions. Um, when there's something that, that goes wrong, anger likes to kick in. It's real easy to access anger. 
It's a primary emotion. It's a, it's a spurring to action. You're going to do something. You're going to fight or you're going to, you know, fear leads you to kind of, I'm going to protect or I'm going to run away. Or there's these different emotions kind of trigger these parts of our brains to just act. Sadness. What does sadness trigger us to do? Just sit there. And I can say at least for myself and probably many of you, oh, I don't like that feeling. I want to do something. I want to take action. I want to address this some way. I know that there are some of you who are listening here like, I can access my sadness real easy. Okay. I think there are some of us, though, that would be well served by learning how to access by sitting in it, just sitting there. And I can say this is one of the a significant thing that the Lord has been teaching me and continues to teach me, even starting back to my time of sabbatical over this last summer. You think about the Bible, there's so many people, so many stories are marked by such profound sadness. You think of, of, of Jacob losing his son Joseph. He thinks his son is dead, his son is actually taken to be a slave in Egypt, but he experiences deep sorrow. Think of David, King David, his sorrow over his own sin, his own absolute horrific sin against Bathsheba and Uriah, and then further sorrow and sadness over the death of his son. You think of the disciples' sadness over Jesus being crucified. Or you think of Paul expressing such sorrow over his fellow Jewish kinsmen rejecting Jesus as the Messiah. And we think of these stories and so many of them, we see the way that God takes the sadness and turns it into something joyous. But, and we can even resonate with, with the prayer found in Psalm 31 where David writes, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I'm in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. My life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Let me give you the, the 2021 translation of that. God, I'm worn out and I'd like it to stop. Now, in our modern cultural moment, in the West, in America, you know, 21st century, we also don't deal particularly well with the emotion of sadness. We have a culture that is highly built on entertainment and amusement. Neil Postman, I think it was, who wrote a book back all the way back in the 90s called Amusing Ourselves to Death. That this is our chosen way to deal with the brokenness of the world, the hardship of the world, is just through frivolity and fun. And there's absolutely a place for fun and laughter, and so don't hear what I'm not saying, but that mentality can also creep into the church. In the church, we can show up like, oh, you feel sad? Let's just put that sadness away on the shelf. And let's rejoice in the Lord always. Some of you are sitting here thinking like, man, this is their Christmas series? Yeah, you're welcome. Welcome to Sound City Bible Church, okay? Feel sad. Rather than going the avoidance route, I think we would be well served to listen to the words of the teacher in Ecclesiastes 7. We already heard this in our scripture reading, but let me just go back over it one more time. Because this passage feels so counterintuitive to our American amusement selves. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, since that is the end of all mankind and the living should take it to heart. Grief is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, then the heart may be glad. 
The heart of a wise, you know, a wise person, you know where you find them? In the house of mourning. But the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to listen to rebuke, a, a, a strong word, something that feels unpleasant from someone who's wise, than to listen to a song from fools. For like crackling of burning thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This too is futile. This idea of like burning thorns under the pot. Uh, think of like if you ever make a fire and you, light, you take some newspaper, you crumple up the newspaper, does that light's really easy, big flame, gone in about 15 seconds. Solomon, or the teacher, says there is such a thing as good sadness. If he'd have known about Charlie Brown, he would have said good grief. But why? Why should we do it? What is, what is the teacher saying? Why should we embrace the sadness? Why should we dive in? Why should we, instead of avoiding it, why should we embrace it? He, there's two major reasons. The first reason that the teacher says we should embrace sadness is so that we can reckon directly with death. This is another thing in our cultural moment that the vast majority of us do not ever have to deal face-to-face with death. I'm looking around the room. I know that some of you in here are medical professionals. You have to, you do that work. But the vast majority of us can go through life without ever seeing a dead body, without ever having to walk like really close, actual face-to-face. Most of our interaction with death is mediated through a screen and entertainment. I remember one time being in Uganda and, and driving through the streets of Uganda and there were two times I saw dead bodies just lying on the side of the road. So it's a different world than what we inhibit. Um, just a few weeks ago, a few short weeks ago, I had the absolute privilege of, of preaching a funeral of uh, a dear sister named Selma Handyside. Val's mom. Selma was our oldest member when Sound City Bible Church was planted and she loved Jesus, and treated people extremely kindly, and she loved classic country music. We had, what did we have? Johnny Cash, Patsy Cline, Willie Nelson, all played at her. I mean, man, I get to preach about the resurrection of the dead and listen to those artists? Don't threaten me with a good time. But here was, here was something interesting about that. Um... It was an open casket funeral. And to walk into that room and to look at Selma, someone who sat in my office and did, my member interview, did her member interview in my office, and say, that's, that's her, but it's not her. The teacher says that every single one of us, our story will end in the house of mourning. Because unless the Lord Jesus returns in our lifetime, we will one day die. But we don't like to talk about it. We like to avoid it. We don't want to see it. We don't want to feel mortal. But friends, we are. And the teacher says it's actually better to embrace sadness because it's going to help you deal with the reality of death, the thing that every single person on planet Earth has to deal with. And embracing sadness helps prepare us to face it in a more courageous and healthy way. The second reason, though, why the teacher says we should embrace sadness is he says it will actually lead to a more genuine, a more real, a more lasting type of gladness. 
He uses these different analogies, the, the house of pleasure. He's like, you go to the house of pleasure, it's fine. You, you're going you know, to find a bunch of fools there, just filling up all their time with pleasure. He talks about the song of fools. He says, it's actually better to hear a rebuke from someone who's got some wisdom than to listen to the song of fools. And he says, it's all like crackling thorns. It's all like a short-lived, it's all like lighting a, a newspaper on fire and watching it go up real big. You can get some warmth, you can get some heat for about 10 seconds, for about 30 seconds, but then it goes away. And if you want to actually have a, a deep raging fire of joy, you need to learn how to actually embrace Sadness. Now, think about this with me for a moment. Think about this Christmas season, the advent of Jesus and sadness. Think about Jesus' advent and, and the thread of sadness that runs throughout it. You know, I'm getting Christmas cards mailed to my house, getting a lot of like season's greetings, Merry Christmas, Happy Christmas, comfort and joy. I've yet to get a Christmas card that says, the man of sorrows has been born. But think about the life of Jesus. Why was he called the man of sorrows by the prophet Isaiah? You know, even from the moment of his birth, there are these sorrowful notes that start to weave their way into the symphony. Yeah, his birth was, was prophesied by the angels and, and all of that, but then the Magi come from, from the east, and Herod, the just uh, you know, poser king, has all this jealousy, and he doesn't, he doesn't want there to be a new king born, and so his strategy is to not only kill the, the new prophesied king, but just to kill all of the young boys. It's called the slaughter of the innocents. And that's like the earliest days of Jesus' life. That his family had to flee like refugees to a foreign nation and live there for a few years until things calmed down and they were able to move back to Nazareth and settle into some sort of a, a kind of seemingly normal life. But all throughout Jesus' life, he faced rejection. He faced betrayal. His own family thought that he was out of his mind. The religious leaders thought that he was a, a danger and a threat. The very people he came to love and serve and save rejected him and eventually shouted, crucify him. Jesus said on the night that he was arrested, he said to his disciples, he said, would you pray with me? Because my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow even to the point of death. And years later, the author of Hebrews reflecting on Jesus' life says that Jesus' life was marked by loud cries now, you need to think about this because, friends, there is no sin in Jesus. That is one of, the, one of the things that we believe that is taught through the Scripture, that Jesus was perfect and sinless. And yet he said that even he was overwhelmed by sorrow. Jesus coming into the world, seeing paradise that was lost, innocence that was lost, Unity that was lost. Love and kindness and service that has been lost. And Jesus enters into this mess of a broken world and he cries about it. But this theme of sadness leads us also directly to the gospel. In fact, it even leads us directly to what the teacher told us to do, right? 
The teacher told us to embrace sadness because in the embrace of sadness, we get to reckon directly with death. Well, friends, what did Jesus come to do but to deal directly with death? Jesus, the story of Jesus, yes, is that he was born, but that he came to die a public, brutal death, unfairly executed on a Roman cross. But it's not just that he came to face death and to experience death, but he came to deal with death because on the third day, he rose from the grave and walked out of the tomb and said, my life is now given for your life if you will receive it. Friends, we embrace sorrow. We, we, we gather uh, each each week and every week we, we gather on a Sunday because that is the day that the Lord Jesus rose from the grave. But you don't have a resurrection without a cross. And so every week we gather, every week we proclaim Christ was crucified for your sins and for mine, for the brokenness of the whole world. And because of his resurrection, he now offers us new life if we will just believe. The gospel invites us to do what the teacher invites us to do in the ultimate sense. The teacher in Ecclesiastes says, you just need to think about death. And Jesus says, you need to think about my death in your place so that you may have eternal life if you would just believe. And friends, if you're here today and you've not placed your faith in Jesus in that way, Jesus' invitation still stands. His nail-scarred hands reaching out to you to say, my death in your place my life for your life, my grace for your sins, my riches for your rags. But the other thing is, that ultimate sense of Jesus dealing with death, but the teacher says you should, you should embrace sadness because there's more true and real joy on the other side of it. What does Jesus say? He says, I came to give you my joy. Jesus invites us into sadness to give us joy. We saw this earlier this year when we were going through the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. It is not only that Jesus deals with our ultimate problems, that he meets with us in our day-to-day sorrows and offers us his comfort, his peace, his love, his joy in the midst of our sorrows. And friends, I would submit to you that we miss out on a lot of real comfort, a lot of real joy that is given to us by Jesus because we're too restless to just sit there and feel sad. But the gospel has one more leg up on sadness because the gospel reminds us that sadness is not our ultimate destination. Sadness does not get the last word. In John chapter 16, the night before he goes to the cross, Jesus is talking with his disciples. He says, listen, I tell you, you will weep and you will mourn and the world's going to be rejoicing They'll be having a, a, you know, they'll be decking the halls with boughs of holly. You, however, will become sorrowful. But, Jesus says, your sorrow will turn to joy. It's like, it's like when a woman is in labor, she has pain, she's crying because her time has come, but when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take away your joy from you. 
Friends, we believe that a day is coming. Jesus came once, lived, died, rose again, and ascended to heaven. But we believe that a day is coming when Jesus will return. Jesus will return. And it says in the book of Revelation that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and neither will there be mourning or sorrow or crying anymore for the former things have passed away. How many of you long for that day? How many of you knew that the song Joy to the World was not originally a Christmas song? I've talked about this before, but maybe some of you weren't listening or something. I don't know. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. The person who originally wrote that wrote it about the return of Jesus Christ at the end of the age. And it works so well because the themes of of Jesus' first coming, his first advent and his second advent, the themes overlap and dovetail so much. It works well for a Christmas song. But when you hear Joy to the World, I want you to remember that we have a future hope, the end of sadness itself. I guess we're going to sing that in a little bit too. I forgot, right? You'll have an opportunity to practice that in about 10 minutes. So what do we do with this good news of the gospel in the midst of such sadness? What's the application of a teaching like this? Well, go and be sad. Kind of. I want to invite you to do two things. The first one is I want to invite you to engage your sadness. Engage your sadness. And you might need to do this by minimizing action. Right? You know, the holidays can be a time where many people feel great sadness and feel great sorrow. And there may be a tendency within your own heart to just be busy, to mask the sadness with busyness. Our sister Karen just shared that in this video about slowing down. So I encourage you, minimize the action that you take. You may need to just literally get in a chair or go for a walk out in nature and just say, God, Here I am, I just feel sad, and there's nothing I can do about it. I'm just bringing it to you. You need to acknowledge the loss. If if sadness is about loss, you need to name that which is lost. And and, and you, you need to find a way to express your sadness. For some of you, it's artistic, it's poetry, it's songwriting, um, for others of you, it might just be quietly crying. For others of you, it might just be kind of sitting and just feeling it. But, but, but friends, here's the other thing. Yes, engage your sadness. Let's, you, know, you, you, can, you can watch Elf later. What is God inviting you to in this holiday season? But number two, don't just engage your sadness, examine your sadness. Like bring it to Jesus. Why do I feel sad? I'll be honest. There might be some thing where you're like, man, I've lost this thing and I feel really sad about it. And as you examine it in the light of Jesus, in the light of his word, he might say, yeah, I took that thing away from you because it was an idol and you feel really sad about it, but it was killing you and you needed to get rid of that. There might be other things you bring to Jesus. Why do I feel sad about this? And it'll it'll show you a window into your soul and just what you love and value and treasure. Don't let your sadness rule over you. Bring it to Jesus. Examine it. You may need to do some repentance. There might be sadness that is, 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 Lord, I have messed up and I just need to repent. Or you just need to bring it and say, Lord, I, somebody else messed up and I'm just hurting and I need to receive your grace. But all of us need to remember that sadness doesn't get the last word.
But there's a day coming when it's not just sorrow being replaced with joy, but the scriptures teach our sorrow will actually be turned into joy. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers from the 19th century, he says it this way. He says, your sorrow itself shall be turned into joy. Not just the sorrow to be taken away and joy to be put in its place, but the very sorrow which now grieves you shall be turned into joy. God not only takes away the bitterness and gives sweetness in its place, but turns the bitterness into sweetness itself. Friends, this is the hope of the gospel. May we experience Jesus' joy even as we take up his invitation. And as we turn our hearts to the Lord's table right now, the Lord's table, I mean, think about what the teacher encourages us to do, to reflect on death. What is the Lord's table? But a weekly reflection for us on the death of Jesus, but the life that he offers us forevermore. Friends, let's pray. Lord, we come to you right now with our sorrows, with our sadness, with our griefs. Lord, we ask and we pray that you would meet us in this place. Lord, I ask and I pray that you would not leave us here, but you'd help us to examine our sadness in the light of the gospel. And Lord Jesus, now as we celebrate communion, this great gift even in the spirit of, of Christmas, the, the birth of Jesus, but that Jesus, you were born to, to die, to give your body and your blood for our salvation. And so help us to rejoice and be glad in that. We thank you for this time. We pray it all in Jesus' good name. Amen.